Well, good morning again. If you have a Bible with you, you can open to the Gospel of Matthew this morning. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, this morning. We'll be in verses 1 through 18 as we look at part of the Christmas story, but part of the Christmas story that happens a little bit later in chapter 1, Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus to the Virgin Mary. And in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Matthew, he records a visit that Jesus received a little bit later on in time from men who we most commonly refer to as the wise men, the magi, people from the east, men from the east who traveled to meet Jesus. And this morning in this message, we're going to see really three groups of people. We're going to see a group of people, those magi, those wise men that came and worshipped Jesus and how they responded to the birth of this king. What they did in response to the knowledge that the king has been born. We'll also look at a group of people, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and those that are around and how they responded to a message that a king had been born. And then we'll also see how Herod responded. But at the end of this, we're going to see what God does. We're going to see God's perfect plan continue to come to fruition. We're going to see God do what God always does, which is complete His will and fulfill His word perfectly. And I pray this morning that if you are here, and I know this is like the introduction of the message, but my prayer this morning is that if you are without a relationship with Jesus Christ, that He would call you to one today that you would surrender your heart to Jesus today. And if you aren't, if you are a person who knows Jesus and Jesus, more importantly, that Jesus knows you, if you're that person, I pray this morning that we would leave here full of joy. And I pray this morning that the Christmas story would give us increased hope for whatever tomorrow throws at us, would give us increased peace for whatever this next year throws our way. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, for when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also." When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. 
for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted, because they are no more. So again, this morning, a passage of Scripture that probably a lot of us have heard, we've read. Maybe you had a Christmas card even this year that had a couple of three wise men on it, and maybe you got one, maybe you sent one. We'll talk about in a little bit how many of them there might have been. But nevertheless, I think, again, we see in this passage of Scripture some just amazing acts of God, some submission to Him, and prayer again this morning is that we would be wise and not unwise, that we would seek after this King, we would worship this King, and we would not reject Him, we would not ignore Him, and we would certainly not hate Him. And so look with me again in verses 1 and 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And so the first people that I want us to look at this morning are these wise men or these magi that have come from the east. And just a little bit of clarification and understanding as to what's going on here. It seems confusing when it says that they're from the east and they saw a star in the east and how do they get there? So remember, when it says that they saw a star in the east, it means that they were in the east when they saw the star. Okay, so the star was actually in the west. They walked from the east to the west to get there. If not, they would have ended up in the far east and not in the middle east. And then they wouldn't have found Jesus because that's not where Bethlehem is. Okay, so they see this star. And so I want us to see first and foremost, this is probably the most important thing about these magi is that they were called to this faith. We see men who traveled. We know that they traveled a great distance. They traveled a great time. We know that this is one to two years after Jesus has been born. That's why Herod massacred those who were two years of age and under. The reason that it's that far is because it took them that long to get there. They're traveling on camels. They're traveling on foot. They've shown a great amount of faith in understanding what this star meant. But I want us to understand that that star was the act of God, that God himself put the star there for them to see, that he is the one that put it there, that God moved heaven to bring them to Jesus, that these men were not somehow looking for this star. They weren't somehow looking for a savior. These men didn't know anything about Jewish history. They had never read Isaiah. They had never read Micah. They had never read any of these things. These men didn't know anything about a Messiah that was to come. And yet God, through his supernatural, all-powerful ways, puts a star, just creates one and puts it over him. This was the act of God, the creator of all things, creating a star over Bethlehem and saying, this is the king of the Jews. He's born right here. This is a God who loves these men so far, 
separated from who Jesus is and where Jesus is, that he shows them personally and intimately that Jesus, the King, is being born. Jesus, God, called them to himself. He moved the heavens. He created a star. In the Gospel of Luke, in order to bring people to Jesus, he doesn't move the heavens, he moves the heavenlies. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 15, it says this, Now were there in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Do you notice there God doing the same exact things for the shepherds that he did for the wise men, for this magi? He sends the heavenlies. He speaks through an angel and then the heavenly host. And what do they do immediately following? They say, well, we better go. Like we've been out here a lot of times and we haven't seen anything like this yet. We've stargazed over and over and over again, and we've never seen heaven break open and angels talk. We'd better go. The same way with these wise men, they said, we have looked at the stars, we've studied, we've looked night after night after night, and something is different. And God drew them to himself. And some of you may be saying, well, I don't know if God works that way anymore. I don't know anybody who came to know Jesus because of a star or an angel. But here's what I know. I know that God will still move heaven and earth for you to come to a right relationship with him. I know that God still effectually calls his people to himself every day. I know that in some of your lives, God has been calling you to him or closer to him, and you don't even know why. You've had circumstances over the last year that have popped up that you never thought would happen. You've had good things. You've had bad things. You've had all sorts of things happen. And when you look at them on the surface, you say, why is this happening? And what may be happening is God may, through his love and providential power, may be calling you to himself today. God still calls people through his actions, through his word. Maybe you've heard the gospel over and over and over again in your life. And maybe in this very moment today is the day that God is saying, repent and believe this gospel that you've heard. Here's why I believe that God still does that. Because in John chapter 6, verses 44 through 47, this is what Jesus himself says. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he is who is from God. He has seen the Father. Assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Do you hear what Jesus says? No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. Therefore, if anyone has heard and learned from the Father, comes to me. He may not be using stars and angels today, but he's using the word of God. He's using people. He's using circumstances to draw us to him. And again, my prayer this morning would be that you would be like the wise men and you would walk to him 
and obey his call. I want you to notice one other thing about these magi before we move on. I want you to see what their intent was when they came. I want you to see what their purpose was. Look again in verse 2. It says, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we've seen his star and we've come to worship him. This is one of the greatest lines, I think, in all of the Christmas story. We've come to worship him. We don't know who he is. We've never met him. He's a baby. We've never been in this country before. He's not our king. And yet we've come to worship him. We haven't come to see what we can get from him. We haven't come to receive a blessing. We haven't come to receive riches. We haven't come to receive a word. We haven't come to receive from him. We've come to worship him. And they came prepared. Look what it says down in verse 11. It says in verse 11, And when they had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures. They presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They came prepared. How many of you parents have ever found yourself, probably not on Christmas, but found yourself ill-prepared for a birthday party or something like that that your kids are supposed to go to? And you're like, thank goodness there's a DG, you know, because we're going to go grab something or whatever it is. That's probably happened to all of us. It's not because you didn't care. It's just because life happens, right? But these men came prepared. I love that it says that they fell down. Here are these grown men, wealthy, esteemed, learned men. They walk into this tiny home of a carpenter. They see this child and they fall down and worship. I wonder how many times my worship is unacceptable to God because there is too much pride wrapped up in it. Because I'm not willing to just fall down on my face before the king. And then they willingly give him these extremely expensive gifts in some cases We don't have time to talk about all the significance of all of those and all the meaning of all of those. But they came giving gifts. They worshipped with their things. And they didn't hold back. I pray this morning that if we know that Jesus is King, that we would come to Him with the same heart that the Magi did. That we would come humbly falling down before our King. Humbling, offering up whatever it is that He's already given us, that He already owns for His glory and for His honor. And so again, I'll say, maybe he's calling you today. The next group of people are the religious leaders. Look in verses 3 through 6. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, they inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So these wise men, these magi come and they find themselves before Herod and Herod doesn't know because Herod isn't even really a Jew and Herod doesn't care. This is not part of his life. He doesn't care. He's interested in one thing and that's Herod. Okay. And so he doesn't know. He says, well, I don't, I haven't heard anything about this king. I don't know where this king is supposed to be. So he calls the scribes. He calls the religious leaders. He calls the priests, and he says, where's your king supposed to be born? And I just want you to notice something about them that happens immediately. They say, well, in Bethlehem and they quote, it says, is it not written from the prophet Bethlehem, the land of Judah, right? They immediately quote the scripture 
That is the prophecy of where the Messiah is supposed to be born. I want you to notice what they don't do. They don't say, well, I don't, I don't know. Let me go check the book, right? Let me get out my concordance and see if we can find Messiah in there. They know where the Messiah is to be born from heart. They know it in their head. Immediately they spout off, this is where and this is why. These men have knowledge, but they have no faith. They're not looking for the Messiah. They don't believe that he's come. And so they do nothing. I fear that there are a great many of people who walk into churches every Sunday morning who are just like these men, who can answer all of the questions, who have a great knowledge of who Jesus is, who can quote just enough verses to get them by, who know the right Sunday school answers when called upon, who can fumble through and find the minor prophets after they go back and forth a few times, right? They know enough to seem like they get by, but they've never followed Jesus. They've never believed. They've never trusted. They have a knowledge of Him, but they do not know Him. Do we understand that? Do we know that we can know who Jesus is and not be known by Jesus? That we can even believe that He existed? There are a plethora of people who will die and spend eternity in hell knowing and believing that Jesus lived. Being able to quote verses, but never having followed Him in faith. Never responding the way that the Magi did. I pray this morning that this may even be the morning that God takes our knowledge of him and turns it to faith that we would believe. The next person is this. Look in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Let's look in verse 7 and 8. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come worship him also jump all the way down to verses 16 through 18 then herod when he had saw that he was deceived by the wise men was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men then was fulfilled what was spoken by jeremiah the prophet saying a voice was heard in ramah lamentation weeping and great mourning rachel weeping for her children refusing to be comforted because they are no more So we see the Magi and we see the religious leaders, the priests, and then we see the fear of Herod. The moment that Herod hears that a king is born, it says that he's troubled. There's an unsettling. You've had that moment, haven't you? Where you've heard something, you've gotten news, you've been told something, and you got that feeling down in your stomach that you really can't explain. You got that nervousness in your chest that you don't know how to describe, there's this troubledness. And Herod and all of the people were troubled. I'm just going to throw this out there to you this morning. I don't have any way to know exactly how many of these wise men or magi there were. I think there are more than three. And the reason that I think there are more than three is a fewfold. One, because I don't think three men wandering in to town get to go before the king. I think they say, you're three crazy people. Get back on your camels and leave, right? So I don't think that they get an audience of the king with just three people. I also don't think that all of Jerusalem is troubled by three men. Three people could walk in to Jerusalem and walk out of Jerusalem, and 99% of Jerusalem would never know that they were even there, right? They don't care. 
The whole land is not troubled by three men. J. Vernon McGee thinks there's 300 of them. I don't know if there's that many, but there's enough to cause a stir. And Herod is troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So he begins just by being troubled. Well, what troubles him? What's the big deal? In fact, Herod's old right now. He's going to die before too long. What's the big deal? Here's the big deal. Herod only wants one person to be king, and it's Herod. He wants no competition. He wants no one rising up. He wants no one trying to take on any of his power, any of his glory, any of his fame, any of his riches, any of those things. He wants no one stepping on his toes in any way, shape, or form. Herod wants to be king. In fact, Herod wants to have so much power that Herod killed one of his wives and two of his own brother-in-laws because he thought that they were rising up against him in treason. He's a psycho. And he says, I don't want anybody else to be king but me. I'm not going to put this on you. I'm going to let you decide for yourself if that's ever you. But I'll tell you too many times, that's me. And I want to be king. And I want to be in charge of my life. And I want to make my own decisions. And I want to decide how things go. And person after person reject Jesus every day because they only want them to be king. They want their name. They want themselves to be on the throne of their heart. And there's only one king. And there's only room for one. And it's Jesus Christ. So Herod's troubled, but then his troubling turns to scheming. In verses 7 and 8, he goes to the wise men and he says, Listen, when you find him, come and tell me. I want to worship him too. But what we know is that all Herod wanted to do was kill Jesus privately. He didn't want to cause a stir. He didn't want to make a scene. He didn't want to cause any more trouble to come to Jerusalem and the people around them. He didn't want to have any issues. And so just let me come to him and I'll take care of him. That's what Herod says. You see that he moves from troubled to being personally and privately angry about Jesus. Again, this is the way many people live their lives every day. You can believe whatever you want. Don't mess with me about this Jesus guy, right? Just... Don't tell me about him. Don't talk about him. I don't want to hear about him. You just live how you want to live, and I'm going to secretly hate him. But the problem is, is it doesn't ever end there. And it didn't for Herod either. Herod finds out that the wise men aren't coming back. And Herod waits around for the wise men, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits. And he finally he says, you know what? I don't think they're coming back. And he's enraged. And he declares that every child, every male child to and under, in Bethlehem and, and all around, will lose their lives. He becomes publicly angry against Jesus. It sounds crazy to us today. It sounds crazy to us where we live. That's a reality in the world today. It's a reality in many parts of the world today that if you're a professing believer in Jesus Christ, that you can be killed. The massacre of these innocents is happening all over the world today. But ultimately, what we see Herod doing is something that is absolutely, positively hopeless we see Herod trying to foil the plan of Almighty God. He doesn't know it. He doesn't believe it. He doesn't even believe in this God. He doesn't know what he's doing. If you were to ask him that, he would say, you're crazy. But ultimately, that's what he's trying to do, isn't it? God has sent his son. He has come to us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, right? God has sent him. He has put into motion the plan of salvation for all of you and all of me. He has put in the motion this plan and God is creating it right before our very eyes. He created the star. He brought the wise men. It's happening. God's plan of redemption is happening. The plan that he created before he ever spoke the world into existence is happening. And one man thinks he can stop it. And he is sorely mistaken. He is as wrong as anybody has ever been in his life. 
He cannot stop it because God saved the king. No man, nothing could get in between the wise men and Jesus. Nothing will get in between Jesus and the cross. And nothing would be in between Jesus and his church. Amen. And nothing will destroy it today because the gates of hell will not prevail. Look in verses 12 and 13. This is the last couple of things this morning. Look in verses 12 and 13. This is speaking of the wise men, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. They were divinely warned. Two different ways they're divinely warned. One in a dream, and then one from an angel. I just love this because Herod is working on this level. Herod is working on this human level. I'm going to take human life. I'm going to legislate my way to get what I want. He's working on this very basic human level. And God swoops in and says, sorry, bro, I control their dreams and the angels. You can't do that. It's not going to work. Have you ever been in the room with somebody like that and you realize they're just operating on a whole different level? We're not on the same level here. And I'm and this is the way this is happening. God says, you think that you're going to take the life of my son? You think that you're going to foil my plan? You think that this thing that I've planned before the beginning of the world is going to come to cease because Herod says so? Absolutely not. And he intervenes in a miraculous way and he saves his son so that ultimately 33 years later, he would crush his son. He saves him so that he can crush him. But I want you to understand something about this and then we'll be done this morning. I want you to remember, and this is where I hope that this story brings you hope and peace and comfort for whatever comes to you in the next year. God is not acting in a reactionary form. In other words, God doesn't look down and say, oh no, there's a massacre coming. We've got to get Jesus out. Oh no, they know he's in Bethlehem. Oh no, what's going to happen? We've got to take care of Jesus. God isn't reacting to the situation. God is simply step by step walking out his sovereign plan that he has always had. And you say, well, how do I know that? In Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, it says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the bow of Moab and destroy the sons of Tumult. A star shall come out of Jacob. Jesus, the wise men followed a star that he had planned hundreds and hundreds of years before. But listen to this. Hosea 11.1 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. That's what's quoted in Matthew chapter 2. Why does that matter? Look what it says in verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt. God is not scrambling. God is not shocked. He doesn't say, well, just run to Egypt. You'll be safe there. He says, I knew Herod before Herod ever took a breath on this earth. I knew the hardness of Herod's heart. I knew the anger and hatred in Herod's heart. I knew that this was coming before Herod was ever conceived. It's time to go to Egypt. And when Herod is dead, you can come back. Because God is divinely and sovereignly fulfilling his plan so that you and I can come together and celebrate Christmas. And worship the king. Whatever happens or doesn't happen in the next year, remember this church, God will not be surprised. God will act, but he will never react.
he only acts because he is in complete control of every minute of every day. He's in control in this situation. Can you imagine how Mary and Joseph felt? Do you remember, parents, how paranoid you were with your first child about everything? Everything's got to be clean. Every whimper, every cry, everything. All of you had different experiences having your first child than we did, but I never heard of a massacre coming. I was never living in a different part of the country than what I was living in when I started the pregnancy, right? And this is it's crazy. Can you imagine what Mary and Joseph were thinking? I love the fact. I think Joseph probably went to bed that night troubled. What are we doing here? How's your plan going to work? We're a long way from home. Am I supposed to go back? Am I supposed to stay here? What am I supposed to do? There's rumors. There's all sorts of stuff going on. This is just my thought. I think he went to bed that night scared about what tomorrow was going to bring. And in that dream, God says, don't you worry. I'm in control. And he is today. Is God calling you to faith this morning? Is he calling you to move from knowledge to faith? Is he calling you to turn from anger and disbelief to belief? Is he asking you to surrender being the king of your own life?